1: You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
0: day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is August 20th, 2020. My name is Philip Rostenreich. I'm the expert insight editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at underscore omd On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we'll talk about the Magic back up 1-0 and facing another game 2 and the lessons they might have learned from last season. Plus, we'll go over the keys to a Magic victory in Game 2. We'll talk about all that coming up here in just a moment. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network, We're searching gravity, download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want to hear directly from the source what the Milwaukee Bucks might do to get past your Lendo magic, check out Locked On Bucks. It's a great podcast. We had them on the show earlier this week. You can find the, that great podcast plus podcasts for the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, and College too. No matter where you download podcasts, to search for Locked On and the team you're looking for, the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. It was not lost on anyone who has watched this Orlando Magic team to know that the Magic were in this exact spot last season. Last season against the Toronto Raptors as a 7-seed, a relatively green team with, you know, an all-star, but not a well-known all-star, the Magic shocked the world in beating the Toronto Raptors in Game 1 on DJ Augustine's three-pointer. That game was a classic, a thriller, with blade shots coming from both teams, Kawhi Leonard hitting some tough shots at the end. It felt like the Raptors were going to wield themselves to victory when Augustine silenced the Scotiabank Arena crowd. For the Magic, that game felt like it proved they belonged. A team that had gone 22-9 to make the playoffs, they were overflowing with confidence at the time. But it felt like the Magic had proven their playoff berth was no fluke, was not something that was given to them by a weak conference, but something that they earned, deserved, and frankly deserved everyone's respect. It was a monumental win for a franchise that is trying still to get out of a very dark time in the franchise's history. But the rest of that series, and particularly Game 2, proved to be something else. I continually think about uh, what Aaron Gordon has said about that first playoff experience. How, to him, it was the pinnacle of his basketball career to this point. It It is a feeling, it is a place that he wanted so desperately to get back. Getting a little bit of a taste of what it's like to play against greatness, number one. But to have that chance, that real chance, at an NBA championship, which, of course, everyone in the playoffs does have, you know, again, to varying degrees. But Gordon said this, and I said this repeatedly when he's been asked about kind of the lessons he's learned about the playoffs and, and what, what the experience was like. Game two was completely different from game one. There was a lot of adrenaline in game one. There's a lot of intensity that came from just being in the playoffs. But game two was when things got serious, when the Raptors got serious. Gordon has described entering Scotiabank Arena and they're just being a wave of sound from the crowd, but also from the Raptors themselves. The Raptors dominated that game, 111-82. to it was, it was not a close game by any stretch. The Magic were never really in the game. And from there, the Raptors continued to dominate. Evan Fournier said earlier this week that one of the big lessons that he learned from last year's playoff appearance is how each game builds on the previous one. How each game gets more intense and how by the time you get deep into a series, everyone knows what's coming. You're not doing anything new to the other team. And the intensity and the physicality and the focus has to increase with each game to match that knowledge. Fournier said... By the end of that series against the Raptors, Toronto knew everything Orlando was doing. And Orlando could not rise, to, uh, rise up to the level to get past it or to stop them on the other end. It was, a, it was a truly important lesson to learn that can only come in the playoffs. That it is a completely different animal. It is a completely different type of game requiring a different type of focus, a different type of intensity, and a different type of execution. that The Magic just, frankly, hadn't been able to, to haven't had to do. Uh, this group, at least. The Magic lost that series in five games, of course, uh, taking the gentleman sweep and, and what some people call the, the D-bag sweep, uh, where the Magic win game one and then get swept the next four games. Certainly, Orlando does not want that to happen again. And one thing that I can sense, one thing that does seem very clear, is the Magic now know what's coming. There won't be a sound of a wave of sound at the five surf forum because they're not playing at the five surf forum. And and certainly players have noted that the energy that they have to get has to come from within. And and there's still playoff intensity, but they all recognize that there are plays that the Bucks made and, and plays that the Magic made that would have changed the tenor of the crowd. I'll say this. Watching that game on Tuesday, there were definitely plays and definitely moments where the Bucks made a play and the Magic were able to answer that I am not sure they would have been able to answer if this game were being played on the road at Pfizer form I do think the Magic, certainly. I mean, again, they won by 12. They, they won the game, so don't get me wrong, but I'm not 100% certain that the Magic win that game even with the way they were playing if this was a true road game. You play the cards in front of you, you play the hand that you're dealt, these are just going to be seven neutral site games, so it's relatively even. So there is that element missing, but what will be the same? What's going to be a determining factor between game one and game two is how the Magic handle both the adjustments the Bucks will surely make and I can make a few guesses on what they're going to try and do. And a Bucks team that will be more determined than ever to get a win. No one wants to be down 2-0, especially with the pressure the Bucks are facing. The Bucs were clearly frustrated with their effort and understanding that they did not do enough. And Game 2 was going to be a completely different animal. It's gonna be a completely new game. It's gonna be it's gonna be a complete war, <laughs> frankly. Um, and I think the Magic did not realize what was coming and what was going to hit them last year when they beat the Toronto Raptors and entered game two. This year, they certainly seem to have a better understanding of that. They know the Bucks are about to send them their best play, their most desperate play. And they know they will once again have to withstand those punches and find a way to execute, find a way to make shots, find a way to make plays. Game one now is in the past. And it's not that the Magic, I think, overcelebrated that game one victory last year, but there is a very conscious effort to not talk about how great they were in game one. The Magic aren't saying we did things really well, you know, we, we just got to do it again. That I mean, they are saying that, but I'll explain the difference here in a minute. They know full well that the Bucks are coming for their heads. And that they have got to rise up to meet it. It starts with doing exactly what they did in game one. But now they have to do more. Now they have to build upon that. They have to be ready and willing to adjust on the fly with whatever Milwaukee throws at them. And Steve Clifford has prepared them like crazy. They ran an excellent and nearly flawless game plan. They know they have areas they need to improve, especially rebounding and turnovers. There's some areas that I think are quiet that they probably need to improve too. But they know, they know that they cannot just rest on their laurels. They know they're not going to be able to do and win the same way that they did on Tuesday. Their base game plan does work. But they know it's going to have to grow and expand. And someone's going to have to make a play. Someone's going to have to dig out a loose ball. Someone is going to have to make sure they secure that possession or make that critical shot. I stepped up in game one. But game two will be completely different. We've talked and thought a lot on this show about the Magic's future and the big picture. It is, is, you know, this is, as I've said before, this still feels like a rebuilding team in a lot of ways. Um, You know, in some ways it doesn't, and I grant that. But one thing that I've always been a big proponent of is this belief in growth. Are you getting better? Are you moving forward? Magic are saying the right things to make us believe that they are indeed understanding of the task ahead of them in the playoffs and how to get better. But if we want to really see that this team has grown, that this team understands what it truly takes to win, Game 2 and the subsequent games, Games 3, 4, and you know, maybe, maybe not Game 5, The subsequent games of this series are going to tell us exactly how much the Magic have grown and how much they've gotten better from last year and any lessons that they might have learned along the way. Start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. After you're done listening to Locked on Magic or maybe before you listen to Locked on Magic, tune in to Axios today. Host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. Check out, check it out today, Axios Today, the podcast, your daily, your daily podcast, looking at the news from around the world. And we know that it's, you know, there's definitely a lot of news going on right now. You know, obviously we've got the conventions going on these two weeks. Is the billboards and in, inside the. Uh, inside the bubble are telling us what the TNT broadcast going on. And, and that stuff's important. I hope everyone voted on Tuesday, but it all comes back down to the economy. It all comes back down to how we're going to get to work and, and how we're going to do our jobs. And, and for a lot of us, some of us may still be working at home. Some of us may be commuting once again. And while we spent a lot of time perhaps being away from our cars and, and trying to stay in, and we should still stay as socially distant as we can, Cars are still a necessary thing for us to get to and from work and to get to and from our loved ones and to where we need to go, uh, especially here in Central Florida. And so you got to take care of your car with the best. And for those that take care of their their car themselves, the best includes going to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I want to spend the next next two segments kind of breaking down what we're going to see in game two, or what at least I think we're going to see in game two. Um, I want to start with what I think the Bucks are going to do differently before I get into the keys for the Magic to win uh, this game. And, and you know, let's 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 be really clear here. Clear here. I mean, I, I mentioned the John Hollinger tweet um, yes uh, on yesterday's show in the recap of the game where he he essentially said, you know, last year against the Raptors in Game One, the Magic had some weird shooting variants. They made a ton of threes and eked by. This was domination. This was the Magic winning the game and controlling the game from start to finish. So. Um, you know I, I do think that that does mean something um I do think that that do, that means something you, you look at the magic stat line and and there aren't a ton of outlier stats I mean yes Gary Clark hit um hit uh made, t- took 12 three pointer to made four f- four three pointers but he took 12 of them I mean the magic the biggest outlier set was the magic took a lot of threes but that frankly that's what the bucks give you and, and so you know if, if there is an outlier stat it's that the magic Took a lot of, you know, made a lot of three pointers. They made more three pointers than I think the Bucs probably expected them to. And, and I do think part of the Bucks' strategy is to say, okay, you know, the Magic had their hot shooting game. Um, you know, are they going to be able to do it again? Are they going to be able to make, uh, you know, what was it? A 16, uh, 16 of 41 threes, 39% again. Are they going to be able to keep up with us from beyond the arc? Because Milwaukee made 14 threes, 14 of 42. Um, You know, they, I think they settled a lot for three pointers as well, but. Um, certainly the magic did a good job uh, on the arc. Um you know, certainly Milwaukee's going to look to the free throw line. They they only they missed 10 free throws including 5 by Giannis. Um there were missed opportunities. In fact, Milwaukee had a chance to tie the game at the free throw line in the third quarter. Chris Middleton, a you know, again a, four, a nearly a, four, a 40 uh, a 50 40 90 guy, so a 90% free throw shooter missed two free throws in this game. So I think you know, I, I, I took it upon myself to read a lot about what Bucks writers were saying about this team and, and, and their, get their perspective on this game. Because, you know, I think the Magic perspective was the Magic played a, not a flawless game, but they played a masterful game. They played their game plan perfectly. They executed perfectly. They played with intensity. Um, their second efforts defensively especially were really good. They, they did a really good job just staying really in tune in the game plan. Um, even when things were going wrong, they found a way to kind of—they they never really wavered them. You know, they kept—they they really believed in what they were doing. And again, that's that's such a huge part of the battle, um, you know, especially in a, in a game against Milwaukee where there there is some margin—there is very little margin for error. Um, the, the going thought among Bucks riders that, that I noticed, um, a lot of them just said the Bucks didn't seem super engaged in the game. You know they didn't have the intensity that the Magic had. The Magic caught them a little flat-footed with their their execution and their level of focus. Um, And and so I I do think that a big part of what we're going to see in Game Two is the Bucks playing with more intensity. Um, Defensive, I think we'll see that defensively. I think we'll see them, you know, again crowd the paint a little bit more. Um, but be a little bit more aggressive and assertive, trying to close out on shooters. Um, try, you, know, you know, Making those second efforts that maybe they weren't making in this game. So I, I do expect a, a more focused defensive effort. I think that there will be a greater emphasis on getting out in transition. Uh, Milwaukee only had 10 fast break points. Again, the Magic made shots, but they didn't make a ton of shots. 49.4% from the floor isn't a ton of shots. Um, you know, The Magic turned the ball over 15 times. Nikola Vucevic, as good as he played, had five turnovers in the game. How many of those were dead ball turnovers? How many of those were live ball turnovers? That stat matters, but Milwaukee could not get out in transition. And again, some of that credit goes to the Magic's defense. They did a really good job getting back themselves, even with those turnovers, getting back themselves, walling Giannis Antetokounmpo, forcing him to kind of stop and set up their half-court offense, which Milwaukee didn't do effectively all game long. A lot of settling for three-point shots, not a lot of attacking to paint, not a lot of ball movement. Um, You know, you look at Milwaukee... 29 assists, 40, uh, no, Magic at 29 assists, excuse me. Milwaukee, 28 assists on 39 field goal makes. So, you know, they, when they were moving the ball, they were able to get good shots. Um, so I, I think that Milwaukee, I think that Milwaukee's going to play a much different offensive game. And I, I think that's the biggest concern for the Magic is, you know, their defense was good, was, was very good, in fact. Um, it's not so much Giannis I worry about. Um, I, I think that, they'll look to get Chris Middleton more involved. I think they'll look to get Eric Bledsoe moving downhill a little bit. I think they'll look to move their shooters around and when the Magic do try to wall up, um, make sure that the the Magic can't fully commit. Um, You know, a big part of the loss for the Bucs was their shooters missed a ton of shots. Brooke Lopez was 0 for 4. Chris Middleton, 2 for 6. Um, You know, Eric Bledsoe, 1 for 5. Dante DiVincenzo missed both of his three-pointers. Pat Connaughton was 1 for 4. Kyle Korver only took two three-pointers, 1 for 2. These are these are guys that the Magic do have to worry about, and in, in games earlier this year, you know Pat Connaughton killed killed the Magic, Dante Divincenzo killed the Magic. Their bench has to step up. The, you know again those those uh, the, you know as Shaquille and calls them the others. They're getting set up by Giannis. The Magic are giving them those shots for the most part. They've got to hit it, but they've got to be smart about it too. There, there's just very little flow to the Bucks' offense all game long. So. I do think one thing the Bucs will do, and this this is something we talk about a lot with the Magic, they're going to try and pick up the pace. They're going to try and get out and transition as much as they can, even on makes. They're just going to try and bury the Magic with tempo and just say, okay, you want to set up your wall? Set it up fast. Set it up faster. We're not going to wait for you to set that up. You're going to have to bust your butt to get back there and slow down Giannis, and from there, we're going to get open shots. We're going to kick it out to open three-point shooters. Um, I don't think they need to do anything specifically to get Brook Lopez involved. I think his shots kind of come naturally out of the offense. Um, but I, I do think that one thing that I think Milwaukee should do that I thought he, they were really effective with in this in, in game one that they didn't do enough is involve Giannis and Tetacumpo as the role man in pick and rolls. I, I think it feels counterintuitive to take Giannis off the ball. Um, but I think that that's probably the best way for the Bucks to to get him going number one, and to get everyone else going number two, because when Giannis has the ball, the Magic are completely focused on stopping him, and they 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 executed it really well in Game One, just walling up and, and putting uh, everyone in the paint. I mean, I, I was watching a ton of video clips. I actually, watched the video clip uh, from Scott with Brian, um, which you know I thought he brought up some really good points uh, throughout throughout that video on YouTube, um, and and. Really breaking down, you know, what the magic did. You know, you look at some of these video clips. You pause them. There are three guys at the free throw line to wall Giannis. They're both. They're all capable of getting out to the three point line to, to cover shooters. Uh, and then the two guys behind them are also in the paint or have a foot in the paint, ready to stop him if when he peels off. Um. It again, the magic executed their defensive game plan perfectly. So if I'm Milwaukee, again, you're not taking Giannis completely off the ball. But I think I run more stuff where Giannis is setting a screen, where Giannis is playing as the role man because the area, the times that Giannis was able to get free from the magic was when he was the role man, when he was screening the ball. Um, it, it forces Gary Clark or, or Aaron Gordon whoever's whoever's defending him forces them to make a decision: Am I going to stop Eric Bledsoe or Chris Middleton coming downhill at me? Or am I gonna stick to Giannis? And the moment you lose contact with Giannis, and it's literally just physical contact with Giannis, he's gonna break to the rim, he's gonna roll to the basket. Um, forcing, forcing Giannis to be the role man also, I think, creates a little bit of gravity that will pull players away from shooters. And that'll get the open three pointers that the, that the Milwaukee Bucks want and, and probably need to succeed in this series. So if I'm Milwaukee, the, the two big things that I do I look to increase the pace and get out in transition. At every opportunity that I can. Um, you know, I, I don't want to see the ball walked up the floor. I want to get out in transition. I want to force the magic to be set early and expend a lot more energy on defense. The second thing I do is I involve Giannis a little bit more off the ball. Um, I, I, and again, I don't know how often the Bucs do this. I don't know if this is uh, you know something the Bucs are necessarily comfortable with. But it, if I'm the Bucs, I want Giannis setting screens, Forcing Aaron Gordon to make decisions, forcing Nikola Vucevic to protect the rim, which he is not good at, um, and, and forcing the Magic defense to collapse around two guys instead of just the, instead of just the one. Honestly, uh, and that should leave their their shooters open if they can make pinpoint passes. And Middleton's a decent passer, Bledsoe's a decent passer, Giannis certainly is a decent passer. Um, I think that they can get open shots that way. The other thing I would do if I'm Milwaukee um, defensively. Um, you know you're not going to change your base um I, I think that that I think that that's that's very very clear um but Milwaukee needs to do a better job getting the magic into the paint. I thought the biggest factor uh, in the magic success in game one was their shot discipline and their rim discipline were really good. Milwaukee gives up the fewest points in the paint in the league and that is by design their defense is designed to crowd the paint they drop aggressively because they know Brook Lopez is a really skilled shot blocker and it's the shot it's the shot it's the blocks that really feed a lot of their fast break because you end up getting you know your point guard or whoever it is sucked all the way into the lane at the rim and then he misses a shot Lopez you know blocks it you know he's he's nimble enough to grab the rebound kick it out to Giannis and then he's gone That's that's how they build their offense. That's how they build big leads. The the Bucs block a ton of shots. Do you know how many blocks they had in game one? Just three. Just three blocks. I think it's a team that averages like six or seven blocks per game. They block a lot of shots at the rim. Just three blocks in this game. And, you know, honestly, Orlando won a game where they scored only 38 points in the paint. That is an extremely low number. That's about... You know, that's not too far from Milwaukee's average. I think Milwaukee's averaging 32, 33 points a lot in the paint per game. But the difference is the Magic didn't attempt a lot of shots in the paint. The Magic didn't go gung-ho all out at getting to the basket. Um, you know, of their 89 field goal attempts, I'm going to load it up here real fast. Of their 89 field goal attempts, the, I would bet that the Magic did not take more than 30 inside the restricted area. The Magic strategy was to kick it out to Nikola Vucevic uh, for, uh, for shot for, uh, for jumpers and in fact here it is the Magic shot 16 of 24 at the rim in the restricted area according to NBA.com they're 1 for 1 at around the free throw line area 2 for 3 above the free throw line so again that's, that's to me that's looking like 17 of 25 inside the lane against a team that's very very good at defending the paint that's an incredible number. Both the low field goal attempts, but also the the high percentage. Again, Milwaukee only blocked three shots. So Milwaukee's got to find a way to draw the Magic into the paint. They got to bait him into the paint. And the Magic have to remain disciplined to kick it out to Nikola Vucevic for three. Uh, or, or, or for that short mid-range jumper. I mean, the, Nikola Vucevic is the exact kind of player that kills the Bucks Because shooting big men you know, kind of cancel out Brook Lopez. And, and and in the four matchups against the Bucs this year, Vucevic struggled to shoot. Gordon struggled to shoot. Orlando hitting those threes early and consistently being able to hit threes is such a big part of their win. Uh, and it's going to be a big part of the rest of the series. I mean, I think I essentially said um, on, on all the preview podcasts I did, the Magic can certainly win a game, but they got to hit threes to do it. And if, and, and, you know, you, you don't know how much you can trust this team shooting and making threes. But, again, brilliant game plan. The Magic had Nikola Vucevic rolling to the exact spots that he needed to, that the Bucks were going to leave open. They got to do that again uh, if they want to win. We'll talk about what the Magic need to do to win game two here in just a moment. But when you're getting into the paint, you're looking to make a fresh delivery. See, that's called the transition in the game, folks. When you're at home looking for something to eat, you also need a fresh delivery. And that's where DoorDash comes in. DoorDash is the app that brings the food you're craving right now right to your door. No turnovers, only assists. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. It's like a lob. It's like a socially distanced lob. With more than 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and everyone's favorite, the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door to support a great local business. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities they operate in safe. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code NBA. again, that's $5 off, your delivery and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Lockdown NBA. So don't forget, that's code Lockdown NBA for five dollars off your first order with DoorDash.
1: This Lockdown podcast is
0: brought to you by Home Chef.
1: Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients. Free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: So what did the magic need to do? to get a victory in Game 2. I talked a lot about what the Bucks need to do, and certainly they're the ones that have to make the biggest adjustments. Um, They obviously got beat. They got beat pretty badly. Uh, I think effort and energy and intensity will go a long way to cutting into that 12-point deficit. I I had this feeling throughout that game, I still believe it having watched a little bit more of the game and watched that game back, if the Magic don't win that game by 12, they weren't winning that game at all. Um, You know, certainly there there were a few possessions that I think would have tipped the game one way or the other, the Magic again made those plays. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of people talking to me about Evan Fournier and, and how disappointing his game was. But honestly, if Evan Fournier doesn't hit those three threes, the Magic don't win this game. Um, you know, I think I think Steve Clifford, his playoff rotation was it, it, at the time. It certainly felt nerve wracking. Um, you know, I, I felt like you know they took Nikola Vucevic out with about 2:45 left in the third quarter, and I was like. I was thinking to myself, bring him back in the start of the fourth quarter. This is the only break he's going to get. The Magic just, you know, Ken Birch did a great job defensively, but, you know, Brooke Lopez becomes significantly more effective when there's a center out there who can't shoot. Uh, so, Nicole, I mean, again, Nikola Vucevic is so central to what the Magic are going to do uh, in this series. Um, there's certainly, you know, I, I felt like maybe he brought Markel Fultz in a minute late. Um, you know, again, just little things like that, but. Again, Clifford Clifford had such a good feel for his team and what they were capable of. Um, you know, I think I think he took a little bit of a, a few rotation gambles. You know, for sure, uh, but they all paid off in the end. Um, so you know, no one's going to complain about the result. Um, we'll we'll see exactly what has to happen. You know, certainly playing with the lead, you can you can give your starters a little bit more of a rest, and I, I think he was able to do that throughout this game. Um, but on that point. You know, like like Evan Fournier said, uh, you're not going to be able to repeat everything that you did. Game two is a very different game. Game two is going to be completely different. You can't rest on the laurels of that first game. As I said earlier in the show, this game is about building upon what you, what you were good at in game one and trying to plug the holes of what you were not good at in game one. And frankly, the Magic are going to try and get the same shots. Um, Milwaukee's probably going to give up a lot of the same shots. And it's going to be imperative that Vucevic has another big game or that he is facilitating at least or creating points, whether it's with his jumper or with his passing. He's going to have to create points. And, and again, I, I, I know I said this before game one. I'm going to say it again before game two. The Magic have to get off to a good start. You know, again, they don't have to be leading after the first quarter, but they definitely have to be in the game. They can't be down 8, 9, 10 points after one quarter. Saw so how difficult it was for Milwaukee to get out of that deficit. Orlando's going to find it tough if they have to feel like they're playing catch up. That I just think that's the truth. The way the Bucks play defense and the way the Bucs take advantage when you miss shots. Again, I, I think Milwaukee's going to play faster anyway. You cannot, you cannot be playing from behind or too far behind. Certainly this magic team cannot afford to be playing too far from behind. Making shots, making Milwaukee take the ball out of the out of the basket is going to be so critical to, to success in this game. Orlando needs Nikola Vucevic to be efficient. They need him to make shots. They're going to need Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross to make shots. They got away with it in the, in Game One because Gary Clark and James Ennis had very good games, um, very good shooting games, especially. Um, the Magic were able to spread the floor. They were able to get open shots, and that, that's all you can ask for. So, I mean, again, they're 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 the guys that the Bucks want shooting, and they made him pay. But as I as as you always say, a playoff series. Anyone can have a big game. Anyone can win a single game. It's can you do it four times? Did what the Magic do on Tuesday feel like something that they could do four, three more times? Are we going to count on Gary, on Gary Clark to make four three-pointers in a game? Are we going to count on James Ennis to make the kind of shots that he was making? No. Probably not. You know, maybe we can. Maybe we can not count on those guys, but probably not. Can we count on Evan Fournier to have a bounce back game and and, and play uh, and and get you know make make shots at a, at a at a higher clip? That I think we can. And this is, certainly, this history says that we can. Um, he's had an up and down return uh, in the campus. He, he just hasn't been able to get his legs under him. He's obviously still working his way back into rhythm after his illness kept him out for a week. Um, but. The Magic have to find a way to get Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross going, for that matter. Ross had 18 points. Magic did a good job adjusting and getting him shots inside the paint. Um, Ross did a good job reading defenses. Uh, I'll be curious to see how Milwaukee covers him this time, whether they're so over the top on him to try and prevent threes, and and whether the Magic use that against them once again and try and clear the lane a little bit to get him cuts to the basket. Um, The movement, I think, really did bother Milwaukee. Um, because usually, you know, Brook Lopez, he can tag guys who are coming across the lane, but with Nikola Vucevic being, hitting jumpers the way he was, he, he couldn't stay in, stay in the lane. He couldn't he couldn't move too far away from him. So I think there's definitely an opportunity uh, for the Magic to continue attacking the paint in different ways and in a different and new ways than they did in Game 1. The cutting from Terrence Ross is a huge weapon. Um, but the Magic got to find a way to get Evan Fournier going. I, I don't think it, it'll be the way that they did at the beginning of the third quarter. You can't force the ball to him. You got to let the offense come to him. Um, so I think that that is something that the Magic will look to do because they're going to need Fournier. They're, they're, he's, he's just got to be ready to shoot. I mean, that's that's really the truth. You, you know, He doesn't necessarily have to run pick and rolls or be that dynamic offensively. He just has to be ready to shoot. and He has to make shots when he gets them. The other thing that I'm worried about, there are two things that I'm worried about that I know Steve Clifford's worried about too. Uh, the Magic's offensive rebound wasn't particularly great. They gave up 11 offensive rebounds for 10 second chance points uh, in game one, I believe. Uh, or it might have been 11 offensive rebounds for 12 second chance points. Um they did a good job recovering when they did give up offensive rebounds, um, but Milwaukee got their fair share of them. You know, some of it's just Giannis is going to scrap and get a few offensive rebounds. He had that one possession where he had two offensive rebounds and then a layup. Those possessions are going to happen. You know, maybe one or two of those per game, but you got to limit the offensive rebound. You cannot give Milwaukee second chances. Um, they're not going to shoot as poorly as they did in Game One again, or you can't count on them shooting as poorly as they did in Game One again. You've got to be able to collect the rebound. You've got to limit them to one shot per possession. Uh, and that's going to help you with your pace. That's going to help you with with everything that you're doing. It's again, you're trying not to get into a hole. That's going to help you stay out of a hole. So rebounding, rebounding, rebounding is going to be very, very critical. And finally, you know, there are two elements that I think are also going to be critical. Turnovers going to be critical. The Magic can't turn the ball over, but we knew that. The biggest thing that I'm more concerned about is the fouling. Orlando put Milwaukee on the line for twenty what twenty eight free throws in in this game. Um, you know, they, they go 18 of 28 from the foul line, so already there, you know, shooting 64.3% from the foul line. Milwaukee's gonna improve on that. So again, that's 10 points and a 12-point game that Milwaukee left on the board. Um, I think the big thing though, you know, Orlando gave up 28 free throw attempts. They had 26 fouls in the game. They were in the bonus early in the second quarter when Milwaukee kind of kept the game close. They got in the bonus early again in the fourth quarter. I suspect that this game is going to be called a little bit tighter than game one, not because of anything else, but because game one I felt was, you know, they, they let him play a little bit in game one. Um, you know, I think Orlando, you know, danced on that line between being physical and fouling uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, throughout the game. Um, and so there's going to be a game where that tips the other way. And Orlando is going to have to be able to adjust their defense to guard on Tetacumpo with, with physicality without fouling. And, and again, you're dancing on that line the entire time. If the refs decide that's a foul this game, then they got to be ready to adjust. And, and I'm not sure exactly how they're going to adjust, especially with the depth issues they have at the forward position. Um, it, it's, it, that's something that's a little bit more out of their control, but the Magic are usually a very low foul team. They do not foul a lot. It's, it's one of their strengths as a group. They're able to be physical without fouling, but we're talking about Giannis, we're talking about the league MVP, things you know, things that aren't fouls can sometimes be fouls when it comes to players like that. Um, so that's something that I'm definitely keeping an eye on and something that I'm I'm very concerned about as we enter game two. Uh, the Magic gotta keep Milwaukee off the free throw line um, if they want to win. Tip-off is at 6 o'clock on Thursday. The Orlando Magic try to take a 2-0 series lead against the Milwaukee Bucks get there, you know, again, make some real progress. I mean, I think at this point, we do have to feel like the Magic have a real chance to win this game. Um, it's it's going to be tough. You know, I'm expecting a much better effort from Milwaukee. They've obviously got the best player in the series. That gives them the advantage. Um, but you know, confidence, I think, is warranted. Um, I think Orlando certainly should be confident and should feel like they're capable of winning. They've got a solid game plan. They, they know they can execute it effectively. Um, and, and I think that they, you know, after struggling in the, pre, in the regular season, you know, giving them the week to prepare, it, it feels like they match up pretty well with Milwaukee, that, that, that they, they can compete and they can, they can make their life a little bit difficult. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Milwaukee adjusts in Game 2, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Magic respond to that adjustment and to the intensity that's going to come. So a lot to look forward to here in Game 2. Tip-off is again at 6 o'clock. But that's going to do it for me. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philipr__md. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, set your tune in Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all of them. you on podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can be sure to follow me on Twitter at Daily during the game. I'll have commentary and thoughts throughout the game. And of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, we've got a lot coming up here on orlandomagicdaily.com to get you all set for Game 2 our final look back at Game 1, our look ahead to Game 2 as this playoff series rolls on. But that's going to do it for me. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossman. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of
1: the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.